probably had the experience like I have where you come across a picture in a drawer or something like that and then all of a sudden you oh, I forgot about that part of my life and it takes you back into that, to that what your life was like in that moment and what God was doing in that moment. I had an experience like that with the church. Andrew and I were standing on the stage at South Street Campus and he was casting vision to the people that might join him here at the North Aurora Campus in the future. And I looked, I was listening to him and thinking, I was here not long ago with Pastor Sterling, dreaming about our first campus, and all of a sudden I just had this, just a reminder from God that this is his answer to prayer. This is what he, we dreamed about becoming, a family of neighborhood churches, and it's happening. When I think about Chapel Street North Aurora, the thing that I'm most excited about is the potential for this church to really embody what it means to be a neighborhood church. This building sits dead center in the middle of a neighborhood. That there's a school across the street, there's a care home right around the corner. Even the neighbors' backyards back up to this church. And so when I think about the kind of relationships that we can have with the people who live quite literally on the doorstep of this building, it really excites me. As I'm passing through the neighborhood, I was seeing these signs of keep God close, everyone else should be six feet away. and. It was very beautiful to me because it's a, it's a couple things. I'm thinking, if someone is that excited about their relationship with God and that excited about sharing that with the community and that excited about their church, that they want to put up a sign that's notifying the neighborhood of, we are here, we're here for you. I just saw that that's a beautiful representation of what the church is meaning to those individuals who attend. The church is meant to be the faithful presence of God in a, in a location, in a community. God's people, long before the church was established, I mean, he says when they go into exile in Babylon in Jeremiah 29, seek the prosperity and pray for the welfare of the city to which I've sent you. And because they're there, they should be a blessing to that place. Well, that's what the church is. We're here. We're sent here. I've actually been really surprised by how quickly God is already getting at work in this community. I've had the chance to connect with the principal across the street at the school. Uh, she's connected us to our staff, and we had just an amazing opportunity to start getting to know them, to, to write encouraging notes and prayers to them for how we want to support them. And I've actually been humbled by how excited they are for us to, to come here as well. When construction's happening, you sort of get this picture that there's a lot more going on than just walls going up. There's uh, spiritual work being done. We see it in the neighborhood now. God is building something in more than just the building. When I think about the success of Chapel Street North Aurora, I think is number one that this would be a place of real community for Chapel Street families. That when they come through these doors, they feel that they are a part of Christ's family. That every face that comes in here feels known, they feel valued, they feel welcomed. And then secondly, and importantly as well, that the community feels that Chapel Street is a blessing. I always think about the phrase that's become common now at our church, that we want to be a church, not primarily for ourselves, but for our neighbors. I'm really looking forward to my neighborhood church, doing service and outreach in the community, and as residents of that same community, giving us the opportunity to build relationships with people who live within the neighborhood. As we continue to expand, as God gives us opportunity, and multiply into neighborhood churches, our opportunities to meet more needs, to, re to reach more people, to make a greater impact on those that are hurting, and to do more gospel work around the world grows as well. Seek the prosperity, pray for the welfare of the city to which I've sent you. For in its welfare, he says, you'll find your own. That's what we want to be, a blessing to the city, a blessing to the community, to this place.
Our church family, many of you, voted overwhelmingly in favor of approving the vision you just saw because we're committed to becoming a family of neighborhood churches. And it's so exciting to see that this is not just something we talk about, but something that's actually happening, that we're doing right now. Let me share with you something else that is exciting related to this vision. As many of you know, this whole project is $2 million, from construction, design, remodeling, the whole thing, $2 million. Many people have already been giving toward this project uh, very generously. And so what remains on the project is $1.1 million. I recently had a conversation with an anonymous, generous donor in our church family who offered to match 50% of the remaining balance of this project. That means if we as a church family can give $600,000, this individual will match $600,000 and will launch our fourth campus completely debt-free. So I'm asking, I'm urging you, challenging you as Chapel Street Church family to consider giving whatever you can above and beyond your regular giving so that this person can match this gift and God can enable us to launch our fourth campus without a single dollar's worth of debt. What an amazing opportunity we have to be a part of. Thank you so much for your generosity, your prayers, and being a part of the Chapel Street Church family. Well, like Pastor Jeff talked about, we're very excited for our upcoming North Aurora campus and would love for you to partner with us so we can launch that campus this fall debt-free. Uh, and like Sterling said, my name is Tom Ward. I've been working here at Chapel Street for about seven years or so, currently serving alongside of Gretchen as uh, director of high school ministry. And he's right, the leadership has really evolved in the last five or so years. But uh, I want to tell you a little bit something about me. I'm not very good at building things. And now I know you guys are used to Mr. Woodworker over here at the mill. Sterling Moore is so good at building pretty much everything, but that just isn't really me. And I've known that to be the case for a really long time, but it became especially evident this past summer when we started getting the nursery together for our daughter who was born in September. Now, the whole getting the nursery together process was actually a lot more complicated than I ever would have anticipated. And of course, it included having to assemble lots of different pieces of furniture, the worst one being her dresser. So we had ordered something online. It looked really nice. It was actually on a really good sale, so we thought we had to buy it, but it came completely disassembled. So this huge, heavy box came to our door one day, and I grabbed it. I brought it in the house and up the stairs into her bedroom, and I opened it to find what I could have sworn to be like a million different dresser pieces. And even though they put the instructions in like seven different languages, I still had no idea where to start. And I'll just say this. Ikea might not have been the only four-letter word that was used during the assembly of that dresser. But luckily, uh, with the help of my much more patient wife, really probably if anything I helped her, we were able to take all of those individual dresser pieces and assemble them together to build this dresser. I have a picture, not really of the dresser, I wanted to really show you my beautiful wife Ashlyn and our daughter Rayland, who actually turned six months old on Thursday. And today, as we continue in our series on the New Testament book of 1 Peter called Living Hope, we're going to see how Jesus wants to take individual pieces and place them together in order to build something 
greater. So before we dive into our text for this morning, let's take a minute to revisit our memory verse that we're working through uh, and together as a church family as we work our way through this book of First Peter. So hopefully you've had a chance to focus on this verse a little bit over the past couple of weeks. If not, it'll be up here on the screen. If you do have it memorized, you can close your eyes and maybe show off to somebody you're sitting with. But it's up here on the screen. Let's recite this verse together. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I did see a few eyes that were closed there, so great job. And if not, no worries, but we do really encourage you to spend some time over the, this week in the course of this series to focus on these words, meditate on, on them, really try to memorize them because they're a basis for everything else that Peter is going to write in his letter in, the, in uh, First Peter. So now let's continue by opening up our text for this morning. We're in First Peter chapter 2. We'll begin this morning in verse 4. Here's what Peter writes. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And if you've been with us over the past couple of weeks as we've been diving into this letter, you probably noticed that the focus of the letter here is kind of beginning to change a little bit. The first couple of weeks, we talked about how Jesus is our living hope. And last week, we talked about what it looks like to live holy lives. But now Peter shifts his focus to take on almost an entirely new thought. And the first thing that we see here in this passage is that he talks about the foundation. The foundation. Well, as if uh, 2020 wasn't crazy enough for me and my family, you know, like having a baby in the midst of a global pandemic, we also decided it would be a great time to buy our first house, which meant that when Christmas rolled around, I was really starting to feel the pressure to make my presence known in the neighborhood with some really, really cool Christmas decorations. Nothing too crazy or too flashy, just enough to really make my mark and stand out as a new cool guy in the neighborhood. And that led me to buying this, an inflatable Santa Claus. Now, this isn't just any inflatable Santa Claus. This guy has two fans. The second fan allowing for Santa to be moving up and down the chimney all day and night. The minute I saw it in the store, I knew that I had to have it. I got home right away, opened up the box, brought him outside to start setting him up, and I expected that all of our neighbors would just come flocking over to our yard and just utter shock and awe and amazement at how awesome this Santa Claus decoration was, and then kind of by default how awesome the new guy in the neighborhood was as well. But I learned something pretty quickly. 
I didn't really have strong enough ropes or stakes to tie Santa down properly. And so pretty much every time I looked outside, especially on a windy day, Santa would have fallen over on his side or on his back. Or actually, most of the time, he just face-planted into the grass or into the snow. And he'd be kind of moving in and out of the chimney and just getting snow all over him and grass on mud. It, was, it would kind of turn out to be a whole, a whole thing. It was a disaster. And then Ashlyn, my wife, kept telling me that if I had actually bought the inflatable baby Jesus instead of Santa— that maybe that wouldn't have been the case. I'm not sure if I agree with that or not. But regardless, uh, my first attempt at Christmas decorating didn't go as well as I hoped. But I did learn a pretty important lesson, that a firm foundation is essential. And we see Peter talk here about the importance of a firm foundation in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Here's again what Peter writes. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Now, you likely maybe notice that Peter refers here both to the cornerstone and to the living stone. And I think it's important before we go any further to kind of take a minute to pause and unpack what he's talking about here. First, Jesus is the cornerstone. Now, typically these days, cornerstones are really just used to kind of be a decorative item. If you went over to our South Street campus or over to Kesslinger, you'd find a stone near the base of the building that has a little message on it and a year to kind of commemorate when the building was constructed. But in the ancient world, a cornerstone was essential. It would have been the first stone laid in any building or structure. Here's an example of what an ancient cornerstone might have looked like. Kind of looks like a stone in the corner, I think, doesn't it? Uh, but anyways, this, this stone, even though it just looks like that, it would have been incredibly important because every other stone in the structure would have been laid in reference to the cornerstone. And every measurement would have been taken from that point. You see, the cornerstone becomes the foundation. It holds the structure together. Everything rests on the cornerstone. And in several places throughout the Old Testament, we referred to, Peter referred to some of them in the passage that we just read, and in several places in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone. Jesus even refers to himself as the cornerstone in several places of the gospel. But Peter also references Jesus as the living stone. So what does that mean, and kind of what's the difference? Well, those words, living and stone, they don't really sound like they go together, at least to me. They almost sound like they would contradict each other, right? Like, how can a stone be alive? But think back to the memory verse that we just recited a few moments ago, that he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. You might notice a little bit of a theme here. See, what's happening is Peter is escalating this language from cornerstone to living stone to show us that the cornerstone is alive and embodied in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. And not only is the cornerstone alive, but he's also the source of our life, that he is the foundation and in him we are given new life. And we'll talk about that more in a couple of minutes. And so if Jesus is our foundation, then that means at least these three things. First, that Jesus is the foundation of all things. In Colossians chapter 1, here's what Paul writes in verses 16 and 17. For in him, meaning Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
See, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is the foundation over all creation, that all things were created through him and for him, which means that Jesus has the power and the authority over everything. Just like the cornerstone of a building, everything in the universe hinges on Jesus. Jesus is also the foundation of our salvation, and Peter refers back to the book of Isaiah and to Psalm 118 to help illustrate this point. Let's look back at what Peter writes in verses 6 through 8. He writes, For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Now, in order to understand these verses well or properly, I think we need to have a a good understanding of the importance of the temple in those days. Really, the temple was the place where God had promised to meet with his people. But then once the temple was destroyed and the people were exiled, the prophets announced that God was going to restore his people and rebuild the temple to be even greater than it was before. And so here Peter's really telling us a few different things. He's telling us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, that he is the foundation stone that God laid in Zion and that all who disobey him will stumble. He's also telling us that we can put our hope and our faith in Jesus for salvation because as the foundation, Jesus can bear the weight of our sin and restore us back to the Father. We also know that Jesus is going to rebuild the temple, but he's going to do it in a different way, and we're going to talk about that just in a moment. So Jesus is the foundation of all things. He's the foundation of our salvation, and Jesus is also the foundation of the church. Let's look back to Colossians chapter 1 one more time. This time, let's see what Paul writes in verse 18. He says, and he, again referring to Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. See, here Paul switches the analogy from a cornerstone analogy to an analogy of a human body, but he's still saying pretty much the same exact thing, that Jesus is the foundation, that he is the truth and the authority on which the church is built. And this leads us then to our next point here this morning, that is the building. Well, I don't think I've ever been as embarrassed to admit this to a group of people before as I am right now in this moment, but I'm a Bears fan. I know it's been a really, if you're a Bears fan, it's been a hard week. For me, it's kind of been a hard lifetime being a Bears fan, especially things that have happened recently. But I bring that up because my dream job in life has always been to be the Bears general manager. I've always kind of thought that I would do a pretty good job at it. And I think in light of recent events, I think any of us here could probably be doing a better job of it than how it's currently going. But I just always thought it would be really fun to be able to be the guy that makes the decisions to make trades and to sign players and to select players in the draft, to be able to see the bigger picture and to be able to assemble the team. And as we continue, we'll see how Peter talks about how Jesus is assembling the church, but he's going to do it in a pretty unexpected way. Let's look back one more time to verses 4 and 5. Peter writes, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see here, Peter is beginning to spell out how Jesus is going to build his church. And now, my guess is if I were to ask you, what comes to your mind when you think about the church? Probably most of us, probably most people in our culture would think about something like this, the the church building, the place that we all came to this morning, the place where people go to worship on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. And Peter's audience actually would have had a pretty similar thought as well. They likely would have thought about holy places and temples and shrines, the places where they could go to have access to God. But what Peter is saying here is that temples and and buildings and shrines is not at all what he's talking about when he talks about living stones. Peter's talking about people. He's saying that Jesus, the living stone, wants to use us as living stones to build his church. So what does that look like? Well, first we need to have an understanding uh, of the progression of becoming a living stone. The first thing that Jesus wants to do in our lives is to make us a new person. The beginning of verse 4, Peter writes, As you come to him, the living stone. See, the first step to becoming a living stone is coming to Jesus, allowing him to transform you into a new person. Imagine with me that this block here represents your life. See, once, Jesus, uh, once you come to Jesus, he wants to enter into your life and he wants to make you new. He wants to transform you and he wants to shape you. He's a little bit better at it than I am, but he wants to transform you and shape you into a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And then once Christ makes you new, he also wants to give you something very specific. And that is a new identity. Peter describes this in verse 9. He writes, But you are a chosen people, a royal people priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And now there's actually quite a lot to break down in just even the beginning part of that verse, but it's really important that we first remember who Peter is writing this letter to. You might remember if you were here for week one of our series that Peter begins by addressing his letter to the elect exiles of the dispersion which means that he's writing this letter to all people who put their faith in Christ, not just to the Jewish people in that culture who might have assumed that he was just writing to them. But what Peter is saying here is that you, meaning you as individuals who believe in Christ, but actually more and more importantly, us collectively as the people who have come to Jesus, this is your, this is our identity, that you are a chosen people. You are loved by God. Peter's writing this to a very diverse group of people, but he's saying that together, as the people of God, we are chosen by God before the foundation of the world. That you are a royal priesthood. You're an active participant in the kingdom of God. Not like in the Old Testament when only priests who were just of a very specific class were able to have direct access to God. But, but you, but we, all of us, as the chosen people of God, have access to him and can actively participate in his kingdom work. That you are a holy nation. You are set apart 
by God. You're called out from all other nations and people to be holy because Jesus is holy. That you are God's special possession, that you belong to him, that you are his people and he's taken ownership of you because he loves you. See, not only does Jesus want to transform us and make us new, but he also wants to write on our hearts who we are. He wants, to, he wants to show us and teach us the things that define us as followers of Jesus, that we are chosen. That we are royal. We are holy. We are God's special possession. And then last, he invites us into a new family. Peter says in verse 5 that you also, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house. And now remember, he's not just talking to us as individuals, but he's talking to us collectively as, as believers, which I think shows us something that's really important. See, an individual stone, no matter how great it might be in and of itself, is not able to fully accomplish its purpose all alone. See, Jesus' goal in building the church is that living stones would all be joined together, but they would do so on the foundation of the cornerstone. And Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. See, as we come to Jesus, the living stone, we become living stones that are joined together in him. And so as living stones, we begin to be built into something different, into something new. As we become new people, as we receive a new identity based, and first and foremost, being built on the foundation of the cornerstone, God wants to build us together, join us together to be a new family so that as the people of God, we can be the manifest presence of God in the world. And I think one of the coolest things about this is that every living stone is different. We all have the same foundation and we all have the same identity, yet each one of us is wired in a unique way to serve a unique purpose. The way that we talk with students about this all the time, and if some of you middle schoolers or high schoolers are here, you might know the phrase I'm about to say, but we always tell students that you are the church, which means that, that, that we're all gifted differently, but all of our contributions matter. Whether we see it or not, whether we feel like we have something to offer or not, what we do have to offer is important and it is needed in the life of the church. Because the church isn't about a building. It's about the people of God based on the foundation of Jesus being built together to each play a unique role in order for the church to accomplish its ultimate purpose. And that leads us to our final point here this morning, and that is the purpose. Let's look back once more at what Peter writes in verses 9 and 10. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Simply put, the purpose of the church is to declare the praises of God. Let me say that again. The purpose of the church is to declare the praises of God. So that as a living stone, you have come to Jesus. You've experienced new life. You've received a new identity. You've joined a new family. But all of that so that you can declare the praises of God. So that you can tell of the ways in which he brought you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. The purpose of the church is to declare God's praises, to give him glory. Which means then that declaring the praises of God must be the primary purpose behind everything that the church does. And truly, that's our hope here at Chapel Street Church. You can think about it like this. We have an amazing shepherd's heart ministry that serves thousands of people with food and other essential items. But what's the purpose of shepherd's heart? Of course, it's to help people to love and serve our neighbors, but ultimately speaking, the purpose of Shepherd's Heart is to declare the praises of God and to give Him glory. We've got a pretty great next-gen ministry here at Chapel Street. I might be a little bit biased, but I think it's pretty great. But what's the purpose of that? What's the purpose of something like what happened yesterday morning at Kesslinger Campus, the Easter adventure for kids and families? Of course, the purpose is to help kids and and students to to find a place of belonging, to understand their identity, to grow in their faith. But ultimately speaking, the purpose of everything that we do is to declare the praises of God and to give Him glory. You guys moved out here to this building about three and a half years ago to be a Mill Creek campus. We just heard an update earlier about the team that Andrew is beginning to assemble in the North Aurora campus coming later this fall. So why are we here at Chapel Street Church so committed to becoming a family of neighborhood churches? It's not just so that we can expand our brand and acquire other cool venues like this one. No, the purpose is to be able to reach people with the gospel, to be the people of God, declaring the praises of God for the glory of God. See, the purpose of the church is to declare his praises. And friends, you are the church built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. This then means that the purpose of your life and of mine is to declare God's praises. You and I are active participants. The church is not just a a spectator sport where you come and consume like you would maybe at a game or at a movie. No, you're a part of this. You play an important role. So how do we fulfill our purpose as living stones? We build our lives on the foundation of Jesus, the cornerstone. We seek Jesus because coming to Jesus isn't just a one-time thing that we do, but as the people of God seeking to declare his praises means that we need to continually be seeking God, experiencing Jesus and worshiping him. We serve other people. Primary way to declare God's praises is by serving others. I think this means that as living stones, we got to get in the game, right? We got to be looking for opportunities to get involved beyond just attending church, but looking for ways to serve our neighbors and to make an impact. And last, and we talk about this all the time here at Chapel Street, a way that we fulfill our calling as living stones is by being a chapel on our streets, by being on the lookout 
for ways to declare God's praises to the people placed right around you, to the people who maybe would never come to a church building, but who need to experience the presence of God through you. See, the purpose of the church is to declare God's praises, and you are the church. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. God, that you are in control, that you are steadfast and and true. Jesus, we just continue to discover more and more about this role that you have called us to play in, in your kingdom and in your church. God, I pray that you would empower us and give us the the courage needed to declare your praises in all that we do. Jesus, we love you, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, thanks again for joining us for worship here this morning. Just want to give you a quick reminder, if you did bring uh, an offering to drop off, there's those boxes in the back of the room. And if for any reason you'd like somebody to pray with you, Sterling and I will be up here after service and available to pray um, as needed. Now, please stand this morning to receive this morning's benediction. I'll be reading the memory verse from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Allow this to be to fill over your hearts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the dead. Amen, and go in peace.